never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that does its absolute best to sound 99% like Ted, but for some reason we come across sounding 100% like Roy. My name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is um, my brother Peter. How's it going, man? <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> I almost stumbled over that, and I feel bad. How many times have we done this? <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Actually, so... This tonight, Peter, is our 250th episode. Um, it's it's an uh, interesting milestone because of the round number that it is, but we're uh, we're on inches away from our uh, five year anniversary. So I just think it's awesome that we got this far. Um, <laughs> and um, literally, I just think it's awesome that we've been doing this as long. So I'm just glad that I've met somebody who also measures time and in inches like myself. So that's great. <laughs> Yeah, hey, it's it's all just a biscuit away, right? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, how's your week been? <laughs> uh, it's been crazy busy. Um, we just got done with Memorial Day weekend. Um, I spent the weekend camping and doing outdoorsy things. Uh, Drew, I know you did that a little bit yourself too. Um, yeah, so I, joined, I actually I joined you for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually haven't watched or read much. I do have like one small thing to, to mention. Um, I was kind of hoping for like a relaxing weekend where I might get some time to read. Um, I'm still reading uh, It by Stephen King very slowly. Um, I'm not reading super often, though, so that's kind of why it's taking me so long. But uh, I managed to read one page of It this weekend before being interrupted with something going on. Right. <laughs> so uh <laughs> so that's always fun. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you have any uh, anything exciting going on in your life or do you just want to jump into watching and reading this week? Well, so real quick. Yeah, um, things exciting. I'm on a D&D hiatus and it's frustrating. And if my players are listening right now, I hear you. It's our, our next play date is scheduled and fastly coming, but it's not quick coming as quickly as I want it to. Um, yeah, so no, I don't have, uh, yeah, <laughs> I did notice. Nice. So we spent, um, we did spend some time on uh, Memorial Day weekend, hanging out outdoors and doing stuff. But I noticed that when you and I get together at family parties, um, we don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> you and I talk every week and it's weird. It's like, we're not allowed. It's like, I don't know if it's like some weird subconscious save it for the show thing, but like, we just, we don't talk at family parties. I think it's really weird um or gather. i don't i don't know that that's on purpose i, I, I don't think, think it's it, just like i don't think it's on purpose either i think it's too much going on and there's kids <laughs> running around and like you know i just think a lot well a lot of like a lot of just pop culture nerdiness i feel like has always been 
a big go-to for us to talk about and we talk about that so much so it's just like i don't know do you want to <laughs> talk about boring day-to-day stuff or what is it god but... i never want to talk about boring day-to-day stuff i was right on. <laughs> i got we were invited to a party and the white my wife and i walk in and um, it's a party. This was a long time ago. We hadn't like really hung out with these people before, but they invited us over. So we go to the party. I was probably there about 10 minutes in when the host started talking to me about taxes. And I'm like, yeah, this is not what I want to talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I remember no, there was, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> there was a moment somewhere between my twenties and my thirties where all of a sudden that happened to like the majority of my friends where every time we'd meet up, they would want to talk about taxes or um, just really mundane things. It's like stuff we all have to deal with, but it's kind of like, well, when I meet up with my friends, I'd rather talk about like Star Wars or Transformers yeah, like, or something. And taxes. I just saw the Avengers. Let's talk about something worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. But uh, yeah, I guess that's why we're here for our audience every was, week to uh, not talk about taxes <laughs> that's a great way to go because we are here to talk about stuff that we want to talk about so that being said man what did you watch what did you read see um the episodes in and we have great segues anyway like i said um i haven't ra- watched and read much um at all but the one thing i did want to mention that's pop culture related which drew you already know about this but over the weekend um while going grocery shopping for this camping trip we actually ran, uh, my family ran into the uh, Oscar Mayer Weenie Mobile at the uh, grocery store that yeah, we went yeah. to. I have no idea why it was there, but yeah, we went to this small town grocery store and uh, I guess it's not called the Weenie Mobile anymore. It's called like the Oscar Mayer All Be Frank Mobile or something like that. That's but uh, Weenie is offensive <laughs> in some way. I think you're right, but I mean, I'm a Chicagoan. I still say Sears Tower, and I'm going to keep calling it the Weenie Mobile. But yep. honestly, like, I've had an affinity for this vehicle for most of my life. Uh, when I was in Cub Scouts, I made a Pinewood Derby Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile uh, car for the Pinewood Derby races. And uh, I don't know, to me, the Wiener Mobile is literally like just as iconic as the Batmobile or the Ecto-1 or the DeLorean. Like, it's just, I see it, I immediately get a smile on my face. And uh, it just got me thinking about how, like, when you're not at a a comic convention or anything cool like that, and you're just out in the real world and you see, like, a pop culture car or you see somebody doing casual cosplay, like, it always just brings such a big smile to my face. And, uh, I guess that was kind of my takeaway is I just want more people to have pop culture cars. You know, I, I want to see more Batmobiles driving around and more weird street racers with anime graphics on them. And uh, yeah, I kind of just wish we lived in a Ready Player One world where we were all what, driving around Batmobiles and Gundams and stuff. So yeah, just more more crazy weird cars people and more casual cosplays. That's my message for this week, basically. Um, yeah, I agree. And when, the AI, <laughs> when the AI singularity happens, we'll be right there. Actually, probably yeah. because the AI singularity will make it impossible, and we'll you know what I mean. So yeah. well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who have those like AI options when we're in the VR world, and the artificial intelligence can literally give us any reality we want and they're going to choose to have a world 
you know, filled with stuff about taxes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be the unfortunate state of things. But uh, how about you? What did you watch or read this week? All right. So I have, uh, first off, I started watching, I started checking out the show Citadel um, on Amazon Prime. Uh, right. The show looks really cool. This show is um, written and directed by the Russo brothers. And you know those names from Avengers films like um, Captain America Civil War and Captain America Winter Soldier and Infinity War and Endgame. And the Russo brothers basically did all the best of the Marvel stuff thus far, in my opinion. Um, This is the Russo brothers not doing um, superheroes. They are doing espionage and spy stuff. Um, espionage and spy stuff. It's the same thing in the way I worded that. Um, but it's basically an espionage <laughs> right spy thriller television show on Amazon Prime. Um, it's got Richard Madden, who played um, Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. He's like the main character. Um, Stanley Tucci. Um, I never get her name correct. I cannot pronounce her name for the life of me. And that's the girl who's married to Nick Jonas. Uh, she's been in a bunch of other stuff before. I, she's an actress on her own, right? I just can't. It's like Priya Chak Chopra, or however you say her name. Like, I really mm-hmm. can never get it right, so I apologize for totally butchering that at this point. But um, the show's kind of cool so far. It's It's got like a Mission Impossible, James Bondy kind of a feel, like it should, because it's espionage. But it's got that Russo's brutality in the fight scenes and everything. Um, ultimately, nice. uh, I've only watched the first episode. Um, Citadel is a spy organization... <laughs> that um exists with no oversight from any government they their whole purpose is to just do good by the people of the world and its representation is from all um areas of the world it's not just focused on it's not specific to, it's not loyal directly to america or loyal directly to england or so on and so on it's literally like find the best and the whole point is to just be the good guys um which is kind of interesting so i'm curious how that's going to play out because you know, that there's a lot of ideals in place when you look at it that from that aspect. Um, but the Citadel agency was completely wiped out in the first episode. And then they, as like a terrorist attack, like they were targeted and they were wiped out and then jumped eight years later. And one of the guys survives, but he has no memory of the event. And he has these like weird flashes. And he's like, why do I remember these things that I don't remember actually doing? Um, and then oh, crazy. the story kind of goes from there. And then he finds out that he used to be a spy and Stanley Tucci's the guy who's like still he's like one of the only agents left. And he's like trying to find anyone who's still alive to help like. Um, deal with this crisis that's coming. Um, and that's kind of where the episode ends. It's this, it's really cool. And uh, the action was great. And the writing is me going, I can't wait to watch the next episode. So I would say check it out. Um like I said, I'm only one episode in, but that one episode got me and I give all shows three episode rule and the first episode got me. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Nice. Um, Ted Lasso series finale, season finale, series finale. That's got a big question mark on it. I am walking into this episode of our show, just finishing the finale episode for Ted Lasso. Um, I'm going to try and be as spoiler free of this as I can, because I know not everyone watches the show, but if you are, do watch it. I don't know what's the uh, spoiler embargo on something like this, so I will try and be spoiler free. They close everything really, really well. They wrap up a lot of stories really, really well. There is so much heart. 
There's, there's some great funny moments. There's some great action moments. There's the great, it's like all the feels are in the right place. You've been riding with these characters for three seasons. You don't want the show to end. Um, and it feels like they wrote a series finale. However, if you go back to the interviews, they talked about how this season was a three, this, they were closing a three season story. So does that mean that we're never going to see these characters again? Does that mean there's not going to be more? I really feel the way they close this, this is the perfect way to shut it down. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to have a show like this overstay its welcome. You don't want to have a show like this beyond too long. And people are like, oh, my God, they ruined it with another season. Because sometimes that happens with TV. Like you have this perfect show, like don't break it kind of thing. So <laughs> I think that's like the uh, status quo more often than not nowadays. Right. And it's really unfortunate, actually. So, <laughs> right. Um, ultimately, I loved how it went. The show's amazing. If you have any way of watching it, please watch it. The show is absolutely wonderful um, in all the best ways. Um, it's probably one of the, my favorite television shows. I probably I would probably put it in my top five shows I've ever watched in my entire life if I had to do a top five of that. Wow. Uh, it's it's so good. Um, and I know it's a newest show to be able to say that, but it hits that, like, by the end of the first season, you probably would agree with me how good that show is. Um, anyway, uh, another show that I praised and praised and praised heavily on our podcast is uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. That series finale just wrapped as well. Now, notice I'm watching all these shows, and I don't know if I'm going to watch during the writer's strike. Anyway, um... <laughs> Marvelous Miss Maisel series finale. It's the fifth and final season. They they've aired the final episode, and there were some some of my thoughts and predictions and stuff were dead on. Um, the show in the final season did these uh, flash forwards. I mean, it's about a female comic in the early '60s trying to make it in the comic business, and in terms of like fame with comedians and all that stuff. You see the ups and downs and everything, and it's incredible. If you like stand-up comedians and stuff, you're going to love this show. You really will. Um, what I thought was interesting about the show is you get to – they're showing all these flash-forwards. And in the series finale, they get to the big moment. It's the, it's the moment in the entire series that gets her her big break and what makes her famous. It's the, this is it. This is my break. If I don't take this chance now, it'll never happen. She takes the chance. Spoiler warning. I mean, you kind of see it coming. They build to it anyway. They build, they're building to it all season that it's going to happen. But this is the thing that makes her become the big, super famous comedian. And she has this speech in the show where she talks about how famous she wants to be. And like I said, she's a comic in the 60s. So she has this comment where she says, I want to be so famous that Bob Hope will come and say, I've always wanted to meet you. Um, would you like some more water with your whatever? Like he's the waiter at the restaurant. And it's a funny line. And you're like, wow, that's an interesting level of fame. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you think about where, what is the, uh, what's the epitome of being famous nowadays? I feel that if you're once you're made fun of on South Park, you've reached the epitome of fame. I really do. Um, <laughs> or, being made, or being made fun of on The Simpsons or something like that. Something like super high pop culture. When you hit that moment, you're officially immortalized. Um, this is my one and only quibble with the finale. When the whole thing is done 
the last thing that you get to see is the main character, Miss Maisel, and her agent are watching Jeopardy together. They're like old ladies at this point, and they're like still, it's like they're getting ready to watch Jeopardy. Like, it's like their weekly thing. Like, they get together and just hang out with each other and watch Jeopardy. And um, it kind of fades out with them watching it. And I'm like, the missed opportunity, in my opinion, would be to have her be the answer to the Jeopardy question, because that's the epitome of fame. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I was literally like, when I got done with the episode, I was like, that was a wonderful, wonderful finale. It was a wonderful close to the show. Why was she not the answer to the trivia question? Like, why didn't they make a trivia question and she was the answer to the question? I, <laughs> you know, I'm like, why wouldn't yeah. you do that? Like that, I feel like the that's the epitome of like, oh, my God, I'm so famous. I became the answer to a trivia question, you know? Um, yeah, on I would agree I, with that. That's I don't know. But the show but the show is great. It closed well. Um, it was just phenomenal. So awesome. Um, and the other thing that I watched um, is a very short 43 uh, minute Dungeons and Dragons documentary that was put out by Time Magazine. Um, you can find this on YouTube, um, or I could, Peter, I could send you the link to the email, to the uh, video if you'd like. Okay. Um, it's called. It's Time Magazine did this, and it's called Adventure Never Stops. Um, it's fantastic. If you have okay, a, wow. If you have anyone who is curious about the game, who have ever wondered, who thought it was weird or didn't know it covers some of the history stuff but it covers some of the most wonderful pieces of it it covers the satanic panic things where people were scared of it for a little while because they didn't really know what it was and they were like blaming it because certain conservative groups didn't think it was right because they just didn't understand it because that's what happens um but then they touch on how big it got because of stranger things and critical role and live streaming and then they talk about the pandemic and how the pandemic only fueled dungeons and dragons because people were at home and didn't have anything to do so they started playing it virtually and um it's it's an incredible documentary but it just made me like so happy that I'm a part of that world as I was watching it um uh, but it's called adventure never stops uh it's on youtube like i said time magazine did it you can just look it up it's about 43 minutes long um it's that great. sounds awesome. Uh, hopefully I can watch it while working or something. <laughs> yeah, no, that that sounds great. I'll keep going. Sorry. No, go ahead. I, that was all I had. You said that sounds great. And then I feel like I cut you off. Oh, no, it's all good. Um, no, I just it's interesting that Time magazine is doing a documentary about D&D &D and they're being so respectful of it and so flattering of it and stuff. And uh, that just it kind of boggles my mind. And it's so crazy that you mentioned the pa the pandemic and uh dnd's popular popularity for so long and it's just so crazy to me that like obviously dungeons and, D and dragons and just tabletop rpgs in general are really awesome they're a ton of fun but it just it's crazy the world we live in with how advanced video games are where you the graphics are so realistic and how crazy advanced video games are and D and D is as popular as it's ever been. And it's so crazy. And it just goes to show you like gathering with your friends, having some laughs and enjoying a good storytelling experience stands the, the test of time. And uh, 
it's just incredible, you know. It's uh it's crazy the age we live in and the popularity of this game right now. Well, it's interesting that you say stands the test of time in terms of storytelling because they talk about if you go back far enough in time and you find cave paintings, that was their Dungeons and Dragons. If you go to Egypt and you look at the hieroglyphs, that was their Dungeons and Dragons. They were telling stories because that's what stories were. That's what they that's what they had to do. They were telling stories and the great stories because they became things of folklore and legend and myth. Um, and here we are. They may be fictional, but we're telling stories. And it's just evolved into this specific form. And the, like I said, the documentary is incredible. Um it makes me really, really curious to see what the mainstream studio documentary is next year when it finally comes out. Um, but this, seriously, check it out. Adventure never stops. It's um, it was fantastic. Um, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, check it out. Um, but that's everything I watched this week. I feel like I'm missing something, but I don't think I am. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> I I miss things all the time, but then there's also like when we go over our watching and reading, but there's also part of me going, well, if it's not something that was good enough for me to remember, maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> so I'll just move on. You know what I mean? That's a good call. And since that, since you said that, let's move on to some news because we got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about. Nice. Um, a lot of the stuff is quick hit stuff. A lot of it's not like huge um, nuggets of craziness. Um, for example, um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 will have a runtime of 2 hours and 36 minutes without credits, making this the longest Mission Impossible movie thus far. And I'm okay with that because, um, I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout was two hours, two and a half hours, so I'm, like, that was with credits, but I'm totally fine with that. Like, let's do it. Like, I think those movies are great. I've talked about that before, so. And and this is a a movie... Oh, sorry. What was that? Oh, I was saying strap in for a long one. <laughs> nice. Well, this is a movie series that time and time again has shown that it can keep you on the edge of your seat. And it doesn't matter how long a Mission Impossible movie is. Ch- chances are it's going to fly by and you're going to be in so much suspense that you're not going to notice the running time. So I'm not necessarily scared of uh, this running time in general either. I will say that as a whole, I do feel like movies in general keep getting longer and longer, and I don't know that that's always a good thing. But in this case, I don't have a problem with it at all. You know what I mean? Well, speaking of long-running movies, um, next week, uh, uh, or this week, uh, after we get done recording, uh, Spider-Verse uh, drops right uh, in the theaters. I'm seeing it. Um, that's the, It's going to be the longest animated film ever, apparently. Um in my opinion, next to Avatar. Um, but the, um, yes, that was an Avatar animation joke because ultimately you're watching a cartoon. But I got my tickets for that. I'm seeing it on the 6th. <laughs> so depending on when we record, I might be walking off of a microphone and uh, walking out of a theater and into a microphone and with you. So I'll be very fresh nice. with you. Um, I also bought my Flash tickets today. Um, so I will be seeing it actually a little earlier than I normally see movies because the movie releases, uh, I'll be seeing it that Friday, uh, right after work. It'll be like right to the theater and go see Flash. Um, I'm very excited about that. That's going to be great. Um, so that's the 16th. Yeah, for me. So I'll be seeing Flash. Indiana Jones, however, comes out at the worst time. Um, I hate it when they drop movies on, um, 
July 4th weekend because there's too much going on and there's no way I can squeeze in Indiana Jones. It drops June 30th. There's no way I could squeeze it in before probably yeah. the 7th, which really irritating me. And I was looking at my schedule and how they're because it's when I was looking, I was also looking at IMAX. I'm like, can I see it in IMAX? Probably not if I want to see the movie. So um, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with Indiana Jones. I know it's not getting the best reviews, but that's critics are morons. Um, I don't really right. understand what people's complaints are. So I guess I'm going to have to see the movie and find out. Um, I might have to see that regular screen as opposed to IMAX, but that's okay. Um, we'll <laughs> uh, it's, right. it's right now, like the next month or two in general is kind of insane at the box office. Cause like you didn't even mention like the new transformers movie and, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. And, uh, there's just a lot going on. Um, it's awesome, but our pocketbooks are hurting. Uh, sometimes your schedule's hurting, trying to get into the theater. So I'm kind of in your boat where I'm going to try to watch as much as I can. But it's been crazy. But I think to spin it in a positive light, this year has already been excellent for movies, in my opinion. Like, I've seen so many movies I love already, um, and I'm just excited for more. And I think this has been a great year for just the summer blockbuster. And we're only like one month month into it so i'm stoked overall yeah um well we talk about long movies check this out kill bill is getting a remastered version for its 20th anniversary okay now kill bill by itself is not necessarily a long movie but kill bill is a two-part movie volume one and volume two for a remastered version i'm kind of hoping and if they do this i will totally buy i will look i already own kill bill but I will purchase the remastered version for this alone if they do it. And that's if they do a cut where it's both movies seamlessly together. In one yeah. um, It's going to be a 4K release for its 20th anniversary. I think it's fantastic. Let's do it. I, I'm excited for it because it's one of my favorite Tarantino films. But if they do it as a one movie release, I'm totally down. Um, yeah. Yeah, that'd so be I'll awesome. Watch. I just wanted to bring that up because I love that movie. Um all right, other things that are coming. Um, there is an Office remake. Again. Um, <laughs> I heard about this. This is going to be Prime Video Australia uh, with a female lead. Um, Ricky Gervais will be a part of it. Um, or sorry. Uh, it looks like Ricky Gervais will have a little bit of a hand in it, but at the end of the day, they're making another Office remake. Okay. <laughs> For you Office fans out there. Um it's it's just more to argue about which is the superior version because um, people already have that argument about the British versus American version and yep. uh, I think they both have their strengths. I think overall I like the American version better, but um, I don't know what it was like. There's one point in my life where I watched a couple episodes of a Australian reality TV show and uh, I can't remember what it was, but I remember having the impression that Australia has a very unique sense of humor compared to America or British TV or maybe other foreign films and stuff I've watched. And uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to this. I get that it's not going to be necessarily for everybody, but uh, I think it's just kind of an interesting development and uh, it'll just contribute to, you know, we talk on the podcast about the infinite conversation about which version of the office is the best, you know, so we'll see how this turns out. Yeah. Um, 
Well, here's something we'll see how it turns out. Um, Avatar, The Last Airbender, has got a movie coming out. Um, the original cast will not be returning. So is this a live action movie or an animated? No, movie? it looks. I think it's going to be animated. I we talked about it a while ago, and I honestly don't remember. I it's just the original I, cast won't be returning. So um, I I think I did see something about this, and I want to say that it's the characters from the original show are going to be older, and that would probably be why they're not going to be using the same voice actors no. as the first time around. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be adult versions of all those characters, but still younger than uh, how they were portrayed in Legend of okay. Korra. So, uh, to me, it makes sense that the original voice actors wouldn't be there, but I do get that a lot of people online are going to be pissed off about it, of course, because <laughs> that's right. just the way things are. So, Right. Well, we'll see. I just... I. In a world of reaching out to all the original actors who do certain things and stuff, you're just like, well, come on, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? But there's got to be a reason for it. So everyone don't freak out too badly just yet. Um, Paramount Pictures is reportedly developing a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover movie. Yes. Nice. Um, <laughs> you seem excited. I seem skeptical. Um, we've been hearing this for probably 10 years now um it's been yeah. a decade since we started we heard last heard about you know gi joe transformers crossover movie and um we still haven't seen it so um a crossover movie uh between gi joe and transformers franchises in the works if you can believe it but apparently people are talking about it again so i'll believe it when i see it is the best thing i can say about that <laughs> um I see why you're saying you're you're skeptical, but uh, yeah, yeah I'll, we'll I'll see how this goes. The other thing that I will believe when I see is uh, Vin Diesel confirms spinoffs and a female-led Fast and the Furious film are in development. <laughs> yeah, I heard about this one, too. I don't have a problem with a female-led Fast and the Furious, and I know that these movies are going to exist um, as long it's going to they're going to exist as long as people think cars are cool. Um, I just think we need to get away. I think we need to sprinkle out. We need to sprinkle it out a little bit in terms of we've been dealing with Dom Toretto for 11 films now, <laughs> you know, and that makes me like think like, you know, Tokyo Drift was a nice little departure and then it got roped into the whole Dom Toretto thing. Um, when I think of like racing movies that, in my opinion, have done some racing stuff better than um, Fast and the Furious. One that really comes to mind is Need for Speed. If you haven't watched that movie, seriously, go check it out. If you want to see a good racing movie that has to do with like a franchisey kind of like com comedy, you know, thing, Need for Speed is fantastic. Um, another one that's really good is Rush. It's a true story about IndyCar drivers. Um, with uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Natalie Dormer and uh, Olivia Wilde's in it. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the other girl's name. Um, really, really good movie. Um, and then one that's coming out that I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it yet, dude, but the Gran Turismo movie. Yeah. The Neil Blomkamp Gran Turismo. Holy cow. Does this look 
awesome. I this that is one I will probably go to the theater to see. It looks incredible. <laughs> it um, looks really good. I did see the trailer for that one. It looks like if you want to take a um, video game movie and bring it into the real world, kind of in a similar sense to like Ender's Game or The Last Starfighter, as silly as that sounds, but it's basically taking the top Gran Turismo players and then bringing them into actual car races like IRL. And it looks really wow. intense. I didn't realize that this is based on a real thing they did. And I know I if that was gonna, what I you was were just going to say that the way you're talking, you yeah. know that this is a true story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was the thing is I didn't know it at first. And that was going to be my I was talking to a friend online about it. And that was going to be my one gripe was like this is cool i just wish they actually did it in real life and before i could say that my my buddy was like yeah they actually did that in real life and i was like okay that makes it even cooler yeah. you know <laughs> yeah there's actually an interview i saw recently of the of the real guy that was uh basically an online uh the real guy who actually made it to the racing circuit for real um yeah. it, was, it was a cool interview so i'm honestly this it looks so good, and Neil Blomkamp is such a good director. Um, I'm just excited. Um, so and what's be- cool? The one other thing I'd say, and this is kind of more of a tid- tidbit, but you can tell by the trailer that they are emphasizing that uh, professional race car drivers are uh, professional af- athletes. Like they do have to do physical conditioning. They do have to train yeah. their reflexes. It's not it's really easy to watch like a NASCAR race or something and say that anybody could do that. But the fact of the matter is that not everybody can. And I love that you can tell the movie is going to stress that. And it's going to be really cool to see how that plays out with uh, these video game players. Like how are they able to hold up, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, well, um, something else has got to hold up is John wick five. Cause apparently that's in development. Um, and I say that because Keanu Reeves said afterwards with all the stunts he did, he uh, there's an interview with him praising Tom Cruise for the incredible stunt work that he does. And then nice. it was also the I don't know, I need a break from John Wick because of the stunt work that I have to do. But apparently John Wick 5 is in pre-production. Um, or nice. pre-production, meaning they're probably looking at stuff going, how do we do this? But there's a writer's strike going on. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, I mentioned the writer's strike, and this story has me really concerned. Deadpool 3 has begun filming amid writer's strike. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Here is, I'm going to explain this, and then I'm going to explain my fear. So due to the contract, the right, due to the contract the writers for Deadpool 3 have with the studio, Actors will have to follow the script to the letter. That means Ryan Reynolds will not be allowed to improvise any lines during production while the strike is ongoing. That's what the story read. That's what the story read. Um, when did I flag this article? Uh, that was days ago. When did I flag this? Um, anyway, regardless, I'm not seeing the date on here that I grabbed that story anyway the reason i bring that up is because it's slightly changed and after doing some reading into it ryan reynolds in the previous deadpool movies has paid money out of his own pockets to have the writers on the set to help work the lines as they go 
they're adhered because they're going into this without with, during the writer's strike. They are adhered to taking the script verbatim. They cannot alter the script, period. Mm -hmm. The only legal loophole is Ryan Reynolds can ad lib a line on his own, <laughs> but he's the only one. Um, oh, so okay. It's, so it's like it's to, legally. He's the only one that can be, if I was reading it correctly, he's the only one that can, like, that's not working. Can I get another take and improvise a line? But they have to adhere to the script to the letter. Um, my concern over this is, if you look at past writer's strike, Lost suffered because of this. Uh, 24 suffered because of this. Other films and television shows have suffered because of this. Deadpool works because of the brilliance of the writers. The previous films worked because of what the writers did. So that's my biggest concern. Um, they're going into production when they can't have writers on hand to help them. Um, so I hope they put everything they got into this if they're going into production now. Um, that's all yeah. I have to say about that. I just, I'm a little, I'm trying to be a little cautious about it. So, so I have a couple of thoughts. My first one's kind of silly, but I actually do hope this happens because of the nature of uh, Deadpool's character. But if Ryan Reynolds can ad lib some lines, I hope he ad libs a line about the movie being made during the writer's strike, because I think that would be really hilarious. And I think that would just play super well if it was done right. Also, like the idea that everybody has to go by the script except for Ryan Reynolds sounds OK, especially since in the Deadpool movies, he's for the most part the one who's spouting off most of the jokes like he's kind of like the biggest uh, draw as far as the hilarity is concerned. The only issue with this one is we've got Hugh Jackman in it as Wolverine and uh, anybody who's followed Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman's social media presence knows that these two guys have really good charisma together and uh, are just really hilarious. And I feel like we're probably going to miss out on some potential Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds improv magic. Like there's probably a lot of stuff we're going to miss out on in that respect. So I want to be cautiously optimistic. I do this movie. I'm super excited for. Uh, probably one of the most um, one of my highest anticipated movies as far as the super genre, uh, superhero genre is concerned right now and I like that they're making it because they're probably thinking the world needs this movie but it is true that we're probably going to miss out on some great like Hugh Jackman Ryan Reynolds improv lines because of this situation and that's really unfortunate you know yep yep um, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um, all right. Mark Hamill is all in favor of recasting Luke Skywalker for future Star Wars series. Um, uh, I read this article that caught my attention. I read this article. Um, they've said several times that they don't want to touch the legacy characters anymore because they're I, I think they're concerned because they solo underperformed. So they're like, I don't know if that's a good yeah. idea. To touch those legacy characters, which I get. But that's where I. Like I said a few weeks ago, I think that they should do it as an animated series a la Clone Wars style in between right. like, in between the original films to fill in some gaps, because we all want to see that. 
just do it. Um, yep. but Mark Hamill and his uh, thing saying, you know, people tell me all the time that they want to see a Luke Skywalker show. And his if you read the article, he's basically like, I don't think they need to. I don't think they need to tell those stories. But if they wanted to, I would be totally for them recasting. And, you know, he's like, I know people say Sebastian Stan should play the character. Why not him? And he dropped a couple of the names, too. Um, but that's cool that Mark Hamill's given his blessing. That doesn't mean a Luke Skywalker series is coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please note that. Um, personally, I feel like it's for continuity reasons. I feel like I'm for it. You know, if like they're making a movie or a series and they're like, oh, this one scene would be perfect if like a younger version of Luke made an appearance. I think that's okay, but I do think it's probably smart on Disney's part to, uh, just focus on like new characters, you know, like don't not rehashing, but if you stay away from the legacy characters, because a lot of them at this point have died off anyways. And I feel like you're not risking the fact that uh, people are going to, are going to say you're tarnishing, you know, their thoughts on these previous characters and movies and stuff. And I feel like it's almost safer to just focus on other characters, but for continuity's sake, I feel like it, I would be okay with like a younger version of Luke showing up at certain points. Um, as well as, you know, some of the other characters, too. So, yeah, um, but we'll see what happens. It's just nice to see Mark Hamill's cool about it. Um, here's the one that um, has me really interested. And I got to be careful what I say, because we could be on this for the rest of the night. James Cameron <laughs> is working on a new Terminator movie. Right. Awesome. I'm totally down for this. Right. As long as it's James Cameron handling it. Like, I actually like Terminator Dark Fate. That was actually pretty decent. What makes me really curious about this is James Cameron confirms he's writing a new Terminator movie, but wants to see how AI develops before taking it further. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. We're in a we literally are watching the AI singularity happen and take over our planet as it speed as it is. Um, and there's not enough people talking about how it's a bad thing. And here's James Cameron going, I want to make another Terminator movie about how the robots take over. But I need to just sit back and watch real quick to see how the AI develops. That's awesome. Um, just the, it's the real world implication on that that I'm like, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. It's just it's great <laughs> to know that he's kind of thinking the way I am on that aspect. So it's yeah. interesting and it is cool to think that he's going to like take a look at it the next couple of years and that's going to inform how he's going to work on this new t Terminator movie. But at the same time, I'm like, how long are you going to sit around and <laughs> wait? You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, it is interesting since Terminator has to do so much with the AI and the singularity and stuff. So, and where we are in the world is such a unique time as far as that stuff goes. So it's really hard to be, you know, the Monday morning quarterback on this one. I, I don't really know what's the right choice to make <laughs> as far as how long you observe sure. that before making the movie. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. I'm if James Cameron, uh, James Cameron's smart enough to really look at see how AI is developing. And uh, I'm terrified of it to begin with, um, because I think I think there's not enough people who realize how dangerous it is. Um, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's falling into so many science fiction tropes right now that you like if you if you just watch any science fiction movie from like the 80s and 90s, 
you're literally watching what we're about to go through. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. I still think we should do a uh, bonus episode all just about our thoughts on AI and have like a have like our yearly doom cast or whatever. <laughs> I think it could, it could be pretty entertaining, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Um, how about this? In terms of like thinking how that stuff holds up, you want to talk about how other things hold up and discuss the list for the night? Yeah, sure thing. Cool. All right. We will be right back. So, Peter, let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Pete, this was your list. So why don't you explain what we're discussing tonight? Yeah, it's it's just a thing where I feel like when you're talking about movies and especially when you're talking about retro movies, I feel like there's always part of the conversation about this movie holds up, this movie doesn't hold up. And uh, there's always specific reasons for it, whether it be the special effects or maybe it's a movie that has scenes that are supposed to be futuristic and they're not at all accurate to how the future played out. Or um, sometimes it's just content. Sometimes it's like certain jokes that, uh, you know, by back in the day might have not been offensive, but now they're considered offensive and stuff like that. And I thought it would just be a fun conversation to talk about, like, what are some movies that we think do hold up and kind of uh, why? And I had a lot of fun doing this list. And uh, I don't know, this one's a weird one because I think I picked some. A lot of mine are solid picks, but I think I do have a couple controversial titles, so that'll be interesting to go through. But uh, yeah, I just thought this would be a fun list to talk about. And I think in general, I feel like in recent years, I feel like retro stuff in general has been super popular when it goes to like listening to music from the 70s or 80s or going back and rewatching old movies as opposed to watching new movies that just came out so i thought this would be a fun list to go through but uh, i don't know what your thoughts were on this one drew um my thoughts on this one were this is a phenomenal list to do for our 250th episode 250 episodes in, and we're talking about movies that hold up over time um and i just thought it was interesting because of how long we've been doing the show so far yeah um, the timing's weird that's all um my list i found this was really like almost a soul searching favorite movies list in a way. Um, but with a specific purpose, yep. um, yep. you know, I was kind of looking at my shelf like, well, you know, I, I bought that and that sure as hell holds up and all that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was like, it was an interesting way of going about the list. Um, I created some rules in my mind, how I did this. Um, I removed, I completely removed any period piece from my thought process. Um, Period pieces, because they are held to such a high standard of getting the history correct and um, the time period correct and the costuming correct and the sets right, that it kind of always will hold up because they're so focused on getting that time period correct. So I was like, they kind of don't count because of the situation. Right. Then I kind of looked at biopics and biopics. A lot of times are littered with inaccuracies, but because they're basically telling a true story, 
they're most likely always going to hold up. So I kind of removed them from the playing field, too. Um, and it made me just look at the movie platform a little differently. And I just I just thought about that on purpose. Um, historical movies, if it's a movie about a war, that's going to hold up because it's a true story, you know, um, and they're going to be there, do their best to be correct about it. Like Saving Private Ryan's a true story about World War Two. World War Two happened. <laughs> they're pretty accurate with their depiction of it, you know. So. Right, right. I don't know if you looked at it that way, but I was literally putting this list together going, all right, well, that whole category needs to be removed. That category needs to be removed. And it kind of helped me look at more of a niche uh uh, it kind of made me taper everything down to be a little more niche. Um, yeah, that, that's that's fair. My kind of way was just I went through some of my favorite movies. And, of course, a lot of them are like science fiction or genre films. And uh, I just kind of went with ones that I thought held up. But each of mine, I do have very specific reasons as to why. Um, and the problem I ran into, which we run into all the time, is some of my picks are movies we've talked ad nauseum about but i do think um i do think your strategies with uh eliminating like biopics and historical films and stuff i do think there is some merit to that uh just my personally most of my films that i cho chose were extremely fictional and uh, most of them are like fantasy sci-fi or horror films just because that's what came to mind for me i guess so sure <laughs> Um, I do have two honorable mentions. I don't know. I you... also have two honorable mentions. Nice. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess I got to go first, don't I? Yeah. I all mean, right. yeah. <laughs> I have, um, all right. So my first one. So for, before I do any of these movies, every single movie on my list I've talked about before. There are movies I like, there's movies I love, um, I'm going to kind of change my review of them because we're talking about holding movies that hold up and reasons yep. why they hold up. All right. Uh, so my first honorable mention is a little bit of a cheat in a way. Um, and the reason it makes an honorable mention is because of the following. Uh, the movie is Idiocracy. Um, it holds up Good because the, it holds up because the movie was written was it. The movie is all literally about 10 to 12 years old. And it's about what's going on now. <laughs> yeah. And it's so accurately correct <laughs> that it holds up. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Idiocracy was my first honorable mention. We, we haven't gotten to uh, Monday Night Rehabilitation yet, but I feel like we're headed in that direction. And yeah, uh, yeah. it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if we hear here soon enough that some farmer somewhere is going to try to feed their crops uh, Brando. So, uh, no, that's hilarious. This is such a good call. And I think, uh, yeah, it's just this is a great one to bring up for this list. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, OK, so your first honorable mention, man. Yeah. So my first one, uh, my honorable mentions, by the way, are my are I feel like are seriously controversial picks where I feel like. Most people are going to listen to this and uh, disagree with me with what I chose. But both of my honorable mentions also happen to be films from uh, the year 2002. Uh, most of my most of the right. movies I went with are older, but uh, I have a couple from the early 2000s. And uh, the first one I went with 
is uh, Scooby-Doo, um, the original James Gunn Scooby-Doo movie. And uh, you might be thinking of this movie and you might be thinking, well, that movie doesn't hold up. The effects are horrible. And I'll give you that. The effects of this movie are horrible. But this one holds up for me in kind of more of a personal way because this is a movie you watch as a kid and it's fun and you think it's funny and cool. Then I personally got older and learned about the history of this film and learned about how this film was originally supposed to be a R-rated, uh, raunchy teen comedy movie. And you look at the movie and as far as the fact that it's set in this sort of like spring break, like spooky theme park thing and how the actors in the movie, you have like Freddie Prince Jr., Matthew Lillard, like you have these teen comedy actors. And then when you really pay attention to it, you can kind of decipher that there's a lot of dirty jokes and uh, stoner jokes and stuff that didn't make the final cut. But for me, like I this movie, I have so much fun with as an adult because I watch it and it is a kid's movie, but you can watch it and read between the lines and see how there actually is a raunchy teen comedy hidden beneath the surface. And it's kind of like this weird, subtle enjoyment I have of the film because of its weird history. So this one is kind of more of a, you see it as a kid, it's cool, you get older, and you enjoy it from a weird film analysis standpoint. And that's why this one makes an honorable mention, because it's more of a personal weird way of holding up as opposed to just this movie's good really good and stands the test of time uh if that makes sense so that's probably my weirdest pick so far for, for the night <laughs> yeah i hear you um it's it's weird because when i was looking at comedies because of how things have changed in our world recently so many comedies like i want them to hold up but i'm afraid they don't you know, right. Um, well, e even if you go like as recently as like the hangover, like there's jokes in the hangover that just wouldn't play well today because they're just considered offensive. But that's also the magic of Scooby-Doo is like they basically took an adult R-rated comedy and whittled it down to be presentable for for children. So there's like nothing offensive in it. But you can see that there was supposed to be at certain points. And that's what I think is hilarious about this, this weird, weird movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, my next honorable mention is a movie that is interesting why I say it holds up. The movie's phone booth. Now, nice. If I, you know, when someone says, give me some change for the, the pay phone, I'm going to say, I'll give you a dollar if you can show me a pay phone. But, um, there's no pay phones anymore. There's no phone booths anymore. Um, yeah. But the point of this movie is what I love about the ending of the movie is when you hear the uh, the killer. So it's basically if you've never seen this movie, it's about a guy who um, answers a cell, answers a he goes to make a phone call in a phone booth, makes his phone call. When he's about to get out, the phone rings. He answers it. On the other line is a guy saying that if you leave the phone book, I'm going to kill you phone booth i'm gonna kill you and it's basically a sniper watching the phone booth the movie is now a psychological thriller throughout it's f absolutely such a thrill ride of it's like a roller coaster of a thrill ride movie it restored my faith in uh, joel schumacher as a director um 
But at the end of the movie, you know, that there's that great line where the guy says, a ringing phone has to be answered, doesn't it? And we live in a world of tech where the text has to be answered, the phone has to be answered, the TikTok has to be answered, the tweet has to be responded to, the the likes and dislikes and all the, so, all the pointless social media stuff. Wow, dude. Um, th- this movie holds up on that metaphorical stage as well. Um, it's such a, it's such a cool movie, but I was just thinking about that when you brought this up, like movies that hold up. So yeah, phone booths, my honorable next one. So yeah, that's awesome. And we really do live in a world where uh, phone answers you. Um, but no, like, I think this is a great call because yes, like nobody, no, nobody uses phone, uh, phone booths anymore. And I feel like there might even be some like younger people who watch this movie who might not even be familiar with that technology, but that does factor into the uh, period piece thing you were talking about where you have to just keep in mind the time period that this movie was released. Like this was the early 2000s and phone booths still were a thing everywhere. And so I think that's a really, uh, it's a really interesting one. And it, I think this movie is uh, one of those ones to mention where a good suspenseful story is going to hold up no matter what, you know, no matter what, how technology changes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's your next honorable mention? So <laughs> I said my honorable mentions were very controversial. I feel like this one's more controversial than Scooby-Doo because I feel like so many people would refute this. But I went with the first Resident Evil film from 2002. And, the first uh, one? Yes. And this movie, I will totally agree that this holds up. I didn't even think about Resident Evil. Anyway, go okay, ahead. cool, cool. I a lot of people on the internet are probably screaming right now, but the thing is, Resident Evil is not super faithful to the video games. Um, but it also comes out like this is this movie came out twenty years ago, twenty one years ago, and we're in a place where I think there's a general understanding that. Video game movies, especially ones that are more than a decade old, are not going to be super faithful to the game. Like, just look at the original Super Mario Brothers movie, for example. So I feel like modern audiences would go into this movie and have that in mind. But I do think the movie, if you judge it on its own and you don't, like, strictly compare it to the lore from the games and just look at it as a horror sci-fi action film i think it does hold up i think the plot is really cool i love the uh the hive you're in this sort of like underground facility where the umbrella corporation opens and there's a zombie outbreak and it's so interesting but you also have um alice as a character and her sort of um mysterious backstory that she can't even remember and throughout the film you get flashbacks and i think it's paced really well where there's a mystery with her origin story that plays out as you go through the film and to me the one piece of the film that doesn't hold up really well is the liquor like the liquor is kind of the main monster villain that all the characters end up having to fight and destroy and the liquor is kind of like the CGI does look dated. It doesn't look super realistic. But in my opinion, by the time the liquor is like really, uh, you know, really at the forefront of the film, by that time, 
you're not really as scared as you're just watching it as a fun action movie. Like the beginning of the movie has plenty of like cool zombie scares. You mm-hmm. have like the cool dog, like zombies dog fight sequence that was, in my opinion, holds up because it was mostly done practically and it looked great. And then by the end of the film, you do get to the liquor and it doesn't look super realistic. But by that point, you're kind of through the jump scares and you're just watching it as like a fun action creature feature. And that's why I think the pacing of it kind of holds up because as the effects get worse, the fun of the film is still ramping up in a weird way, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think most zombie movies, I think, hold up. But this one, um, this one kind of holds up just because, like, they keep a lot of, they keep a good chunk of tech um, fits, like, almost any time period, which makes it a little timeless, if you will. Oh, good call. Yeah, I didn't Um, even think of it from that aspect. And and the, uh, and the liquor aspect of it, that specific creature, it doesn't look the best, and it probably is the part of the movie that ages it's the it's it ages the worst in terms of that movie yeah. but i almost think the liquor looks better than project nemesis when you get to the second one <laughs> so uh that's me though um but nemesis nemesis looks goofy and kind of cute oddly for like a big villain monster for the second movie but i do think he looks pretty cool too <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I definitely understand what you're saying with that. But just the the idea of the story, um, the characters, the weapons, the the plot itself, um, I this movie definitely holds up, and it it's it's been around like we're like you know 20 years. This movie's been around for almost 20 years now. So yeah, yeah, the movie has been around for 20 years. What am I talking about? So yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. I really that's actually my favorite of the franchise too. Is that first one? Um, I don't think they've you know, there's, I liked the third one for sure, and I liked uh, I liked the first and the third one the best. Right. Um, but yeah, that first one uh, was great. So yeah, the, yeah, the, great call. The second one has its moments, and uh, yeah, after the third one, the movies kind of just get more and more ridiculous to the point where you're like, <laughs> am I even watching a movie anymore? <laughs> but yeah. uh, definitely a fun series, and uh, I, I was surprised. I didn't know you were going to agree with me on this one, but awesome. Well... The next, uh, my first actual pick of the night, since we're done with honorable mentions, my first one tonight is Jaws. Um, Good call. Jaws, I don't care how fake that shark looks, that will always hold up. One of the reasons it holds up is because shark attacks are a serious thing. Um, The story, yeah, may take place in the 70s. Um, So, yeah, they get the time period and stuff right, but it's still a fictional story. They're not trying to do a period piece. They were trying to make a movie that looked like the time they were making the movie. It's kind of like we're making the movie. It's the 70s. We're not trying to make a futuristic movie. It's just the time. That's just the way it looks. Um, But when you look at the story itself, um, that's a story that fits any time period. The technology, when you look at like aside from aside from someone using a landline telephone, there's really no technology in the movie that keeps yeah. it a timeless thing. It would fit anywhere. Um, and the problem being as is, it's just it's just a really good movie and it'll always scare us. It'll always be there. The movie's been around since 1975. So it's definitely older than, you know, for it's 40 plus years old at this point. 
it's almost about it's almost about to hit his 50th anniversary if you think about it and this movie still is as good as it ever was and always will be so yeah, yeah. excellent call uh this is definitely one i thought of um i didn't i think you had really good reasons i didn't pick it for my final list because i think i just had like more specific reasons about some other movies that i picked but this one definitely made my short list and everything you said is really accurate and i do kind of like how you're approaching the list with the thought of the technology in the movie and how that holds up over time because i didn't really necessarily think about that aspect i was kind of thinking more along the lines of uh special effects and uh story content and stuff like that but really good call and uh you're right like people are always going to be afraid of sharks so people are always going to be afraid of jaws yeah. you know awesome sure um yeah so i can move into my next yeah, pick yeah, your first you pick of the night yeah sorry um <laughs> i was i was gonna save this one for a little later but since we're talking uh spielberg movies uh i actually went with jurassic park and uh, I feel like this one goes without saying. I feel like Jurassic Park is the benchmark for how you mix CGI and practical effects and you blend them in a realistic way. And we are 30 years after this movie uh, came out and we're still talking about it, how Jurassic Park made such smart decisions knowing the limitations of cgi when it came out as well as mixing in real animatronics real puppets real practical effects and how jurassic park still holds up as being like more believable than a lot of newer movies that rely a little too much on cgi and stuff and this movie has aged so well and as much as I could say about the special effects, I mean, you can't ignore that the story in this film is so good. It is such a good, I want to say, I, I'll say creature feature because it is, but I don't mean to dumb it down at all because it is so smart. It is such, it has such like a cool, like scientific basis. Like it's a perfect science fiction film, but you're also filled with just like lovable, like memorable characters. You have like Ian Malkin, Ian Malcolm, uh, Alan Grant, like all the characters really stick with you over time. There's so many great moments in the movie. Um, objects in this mirror are closer than they appear. Like there's so many bits that will stick with you for life. And uh, this movie is just amazingly crafted, but it's just like equal parts, like the craft of the movie, the great storytelling from writing, directing, all of that great acting, great characters, but then also the way that the special effects were, um, the way the special effects were achieved so that this movie is still the benchmark to this day for how you blend CG and practical effects. Like you can't say enough about this movie and because of all those reasons, it had to make my list, you know? Right. And I've said in the past, that you can't have um there's there's three eras of movies there's before jaws there's after jaws and there's everything after jurassic park those are your benchmarks um jurassic park showed you cg what cg could be which made george lucas go holy cow we can finally do the star wars prequels and then because of the oversaturation of cg once everyone saw what you could do with cgi everyone's going back to that mix of practical cg aspect 
So it's like Jurassic Park set the tone, and here we are today still using, implementing things we learned back then. Yeah. Um, and that's where Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park, in my opinion, um, aside from like a couple shots, like, and I'm talking like a couple quick things, and you have to have your eyes really trained to see the difference between practical versus CG. Yeah. Um, those dinosaurs look better than most CGI we have on screen today. And and, my, and I truly think some of those shots of those dinosaurs put Marvel to shame with some of their CG that they use. So Yeah. And and you see what... That's just... That's, yeah, and, and not to keep going on and on, but you see what Disney is doing with their newer Star Wars stuff. And you see movies like uh, Dungeons & Dragons, for example. And you see... I feel like it's taken way too long, but people are finally going back to what Jurassic Park taught us in the first place, that you can't rely too heavily on computers and you have to mix in practical effects and real puppets, but you can do it in a way that's believable and you can do it where you have CGI shots, but you don't linger on the computer generated creature for too long. You know, you don't linger on that creature so that the audience can realize that it's fake. You keep maybe CGI shots shorter, maybe they're darker, maybe there's all these things that Jurassic Park taught us that people are just finally starting to realize like, oh, right, that's how you do it. And it's funny to see movies like Dungeons and Dragons get praised for doing the same things that Jurassic Park did 30 years ago. And I just think it's funny that people are finally realizing the balance that was needed in regards to special effects in that way so yeah um you you did see how like very practical a lot of their effects were in dungeons and dragons right yeah absolutely yeah they i mean they were doing a lot of practical stuff for things that i expected to be cg like the argonians the arcoas the tabaxi like it was like whoa okay good job on you know um yeah good for you you know um all right, I guess I have to roll with my next pit, right? Um, let's see which one do I want to go with. I'm gonna go with Inside Man. Um, oh, great pick, great call. This, this movie holds up because essentially it's just a it's a bank robbery movie. There's no fancy technology, so you don't have to worry about that gumming up the wow, look at that old school computer. I mean, you might, but at the same time, you're not gonna be like, oh wow, or it's some crazy device that they used to break into the the vault or something like that. This is a bank robbery movie where it's done. There's so much dialogue and everything laid into it, you know? Yeah. Um, and the story itself holds up from beginning to end. It's like, you can watch this movie at any point. You're like, wow, that was a good freaking bank robbery movie. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I, some of a lot of these movies, I don't have to review because we've talked about yeah. them several times, but it's like, I picked them because they held up and these are why. So. Well, I, I think with Inside Man, like, it's also just you have this intricate cat, cat and mouse game between Denzel Washington as the uh, cop and uh, Clive Owen as the bank robber. And those two, you have two amazing actors playing out this really well-written script, and they have such a good presence and chemistry as the um, the villain and the hero, but also they have that sort of mutual respect yet also that rivalry and it's such a good chemistry and that's like that of course is going to stand the test of time because it was achieved so well so uh yeah. yeah good call on inside man 
All right, dude, what is your next one for the night? Yeah, so my next one, I actually went with the movie Galaxy Quest. Um, so this movie came out in 1999, I want to say, when I looked it up. So it's a little over 20 years old. Um, actually, getting close to 25 years old, actually. But this is a movie that, if you want to talk about a movie mixing CGI and practical effects, Galaxy Quest does it. You have the main villain, who is a total animatronic guy in a suit you have all these aliens you have all these real puppets you do have your cgi moments you have the uh exterior sort of space battle moments that are done in cgi you have the whole like scene in the middle of the movie where the cast fights that giant rock monster that's obviously cgi but i feel like galaxy quest did have a smart mix between the two special effects styles which was just awesome. And the thing about the movie is it's so comedic that even if some of the CGI doesn't hold up amazingly, because it's more of a comedic movie, the audience has a little bit more forgiveness for maybe here and there there's a CGI shot that's a little spotty or whatever. But one of the biggest reasons I picked this movie is this is a movie that came out in 1999. And, uh, This movie, like it's for some younger listeners, it might be hard to imagine, but there was a time period where it wasn't that cool to be into Star Trek and Star Wars and Comic-Con and anime and all the nerdy stuff we know and love. And a lot of that stuff is so mainstream now, especially since we had like a huge kind of like nerd boom in the uh, 2010s with stuff like Big Bang Theory and Walking Dead and the MCU and stuff. And I feel like San Diego Comic-Con is like a household thing. Like, you know, like your grandma knows what (laughs) San Diego Comic-Con is, but that wasn't necessarily a thing back in the day. And Galaxy Quest kind of came out before that sort of mainstream nerdy boom And it was kind of before its time. And it's a movie that did well because it was hilarious. And uh, Star Trek and Star Trek fandom was in the cultural zetgeist, but at the same time, not to the level that it is today. And I feel like Galaxy Quest was weirdly before its time because of how it incorporated nerd culture into the movie. And uh, it's kind of just before its time, and I feel like that's why it hold it stands the test of time and holds up, if you will. So, well, the big thing about Galaxy Quest is anyone who's liked a thing in their life should watch this movie. We've yep. all been there. We all literally are like, I like this movie because of the following. Period. Um, I like this television show because of the following. Period. Um, I'm a fan of this. I love this. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a Star Wars fan or a Harry Potter fan or a Dungeons Dragons fan or you're into Magic the Gathering or you're into Gilmore Girls or you're, um, I'm pretty sure there's a Gilmore Girls convention somewhere or you're into Twilight It doesn't or Sesame Street or it doesn't matter. Everyone's a fan of something because they're a fan of the thing they like. Yeah. And we want to sit around and talk about things that we like. Here's the thing. I heard uh, Seth Meyers was doing an interview um, with, I want to say, Stephen Colbert. I think it was Stephen Colbert was on Seth Meyers a while back where he made a comment where when you do this job long enough, there's no such thing as bad movies. Which made me laugh because these hosts are like under contract to talk to these people and say, I loved your movie. Well, 
there's a lot of movies that Peter and I don't like, but we're not going to talk about them because we want to talk about the things we do like. <laughs> right. You know? And if they come up in conversation, we're going to be honest and say, hey, I wasn't a big fan of that movie. Um, but, you know, when you look at Galaxy Quest, it's about something that people like and they go to conventions over it and then they get to celebrate that thing. And whether it's a show like Star Trek or a show like Galaxy Quest or me being into Star Wars or me being into comic books or me being into whatever, I can relate to that. So it doesn't matter what you're into. You can watch this movie, have a really good time and relate to the characters and what they're going through because you like a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what makes Galaxy Quest awesome and hold up the way uh, you're saying. Um, Yep. Yeah. All right. So my next pick for the night is A Few Good Men. Oh, of Um, course. This movie, I, look, I love this. This is my Stop Flipping Channels movie. Um, this movie holds up in so many ways. It's just a court case. It really, It's really all it is. It's just a court case. But it's the movie, when you look at it, it is a timeless film. And it will remain timeless. There is no, you, you could fit at any point in history, time, space, whatever. You could watch it now. You could watch it when it came out. You can watch it probably 50 years from now, and it's still going to hold up because of what the yep. story is ultimately about. So um, this one was an easy one. This is actually when you said we were making this list. This was the first thing I wrote down. Nice. No, this this is a great film. We wrote it down before we ended the episode. So. <laughs> I do that sometimes, too. But, uh, yeah, this is a great film. It's a... Um, it has a star-studded cast. Uh, so many of the cast members are still big names today. I mean, look at Tom Cruise. Like, you know, he's just releasing super high-grossing films left and right in our day and age. But, uh, no, I think you're right where this is a movie about the issues that take place and uh, what the court case is about. You're talking about evergreen ethical conundrums and uh, when, like, you know, it's like, who issued the code red? Like, did you follow it and stuff like it really brings to mind a lot of just really ethical issues that, you know, you go like, whose fault is it? Is it the person who gave the order? Or is it who carried out the order? And I feel like a lot of that stuff is so evergreen. So uh, this is a great call. Um, and yeah, this one, like, how wouldn't it hold up? You know, it's just it's got a great cast, a great story. It's not super special effects based or anything so uh yeah this is definitely a a great call for the list yeah so um yeah a few good men i love this movie i've talked about it several times i don't need to go any further so what uh right on next point what's your next well speak (laughs) speaking of uh movies that we've talked about several times and another one that uh came out in 1999 uh the next movie i went with on my list is uh the matrix We've talked about the Matrix and the Matrix franchise so much, but going back to the original movie and uh, thinking about what we were talking about earlier in the episode when it comes to artificial intelligence and stuff like that, this is a movie that has um, concepts in it that I feel like will remain relevant for so long. And uh, I feel like the Matrix continues to be revisited when you go to... uh, There's people who bring up different weird like ethical parallels to the matrix and there's people who like say there's all these biblical references in the movie or the movie really is about some other social issue and there's a lot 
at play when it comes to this movie. And there's a lot that you can extrapolate from it, which is a really beautiful thing. Um, but it's also just a really interesting movie that's shot really well and it's really well told. And I think one of the beautiful things about The Matrix is it came out in the late 90s and some of the special effects, like it uses a lot of CG effects and some of them might look dated, but the movie has that cheat where by the fact that these characters are in a computer simulation. So when there's some CGI that doesn't really look realistic, that's because they're in a, in a simulation and it kind of has a cheat where the special effects can kind of always hold up because of that fact. And then there's the other aspect of outside of the matrix, what the world looks like, what the robots look like, how the appearance of that, it's hard to argue that that's not going to age well over time because the fact is if you're inside of a simulation which like the matrix kind of poses the question to us like are we inside of a simulation right now we really have no idea what the actual outside world would look like so it kind of has that sheet as well where everything outside of the matrix the post-apocalyptic dystopian nightmare that we see that can kind of hold up because we let's say we're in a simulation we might never know what that would actually look like so i think this movie's really well made it's super interest it's a super interesting film but it has those sort of cheats built into it that help this movie hold up over time if you will so um yeah and you know what's interesting about the matrix holding up is the fact that we're living the beginning of what's going to be the Matrix when we all get plugged into the computer when ChatGTP makes Skynet go on, online and self-aware and take over all of us. Well, the, the interesting to think, the thing to, <laughs> the thing to think about that's really interesting when it comes to AI and virtual reality and even when it comes to, like, VTubers and dating simulations and stuff like that is the Matrix makes it seem like the humans were forced into the simulation. But is it going to be a situation in real life where we choose to go into the simulation? And that's another scary thing to think about as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's look, like I said, we could be talking about this all night if I don't put a stop to it. Um, so my next one for the night, I'm surprised we're not matching on any of these, but hey, why not? Whatever. Um, <laughs> the uh, My next one is Die Hard. Right. This now, one made my short list. Such a good here's, call. Here's what's interesting about Die Hard holding up. First off, Die Hard holds up. You go in knowing it's an 80s movie, so everything is 80s, right? So in a weird way, it becomes a period piece, but the reason Die Hard holds up is because you look at the movie itself and I've talked about how it's a very tight, simple story it takes place over a couple hours. It's very tightly written. The characters are flushed out. Everything's handled properly and it becomes a timeless movie because of that. It's timeless because it beca it's a Christmas classic and all that stuff. But when you look at the sequels and you build towards the tech aspect, you get to Die Hard 4 and you have this analog cop having to deal with a digital world. And Die Hard, I'm, I'm specifically focusing on the first movie, but as a franchise, it kind of grows as the time grows, which makes it hold up in that sense that you can go back to the original and watch all the way up to current, and it 
flows with everything that we have today in terms of how everything uh, in terms of our progression. Um, but yeah, I I will always love Die Hard. It's always like you'll talk about it. And it's like, all right, time to watch Die Hard again. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, it, um, go ahead. This movie is a classic It is such a tightly written story. And I feel like there's so much you could say, but you could also leave it at the fact that like every year we're still debating about whether whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So it's obviously a beloved classic. It's obviously one of the greatest action movies of all time, and it's obviously something that people will keep visiting. Um, Drew, just because you were talking about the progression of the franchise, um, it did remind me a bit of something, because I know you've mentioned that you've watched some of The Office. I don't know how much of The Office you've watched or not, but there is a great, um, I don't know if it's an episode or a couple episodes, where Michael Scott gets a... uh, part-time job after he's working at Dunder Mifflin he goes and works at a uh, call center like he works as a telemarketer because he was like had a lot of bills and was behind on payments and stuff and uh, there's this great part where it shows all the workers at this call center are (laughs) gathered around Michael Scott's desk and he's leaning back to the uh, he's leaning back in his chair and he's talking about like he's like man when you watch the first Die Hard John McClane he's struggling you know he's doing his best but he's still not completely with it and time you get to the fourth movie he is jumping he is jumping cars off of bridges and crashing them into helicopters and he's like talking about the progression of john mcclane how his skills like as a cop progress to like insane degrees and everybody at this call center is like enthralled with what he's saying and then meanwhile the boss, you know, the manager at this call center is walks up and yells at Michael Scott for getting everybody to stop working. And it's such an amazing sequence. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, Drew, but the way you were talking about it definitely reminded me of uh, Michael Scott in that moment, which is just uh, awesome. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've only watched a little bit of The Office, but I know exactly what you mean um, in terms of uh, your, like, mini uh, comparison right there. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. All right, man. What is your next one for the night? So my next two picks are actually the first two movies that I thought of for this list. And uh, the first one is a little bit controversial because there's two movies I could go with uh, because I went with the movie Alien. And I say there's two because yeah. I could really go with Alien or Aliens, but I think I went with the first one just because it's a little bit more of a challenge because it's just a little bit older. The special effects are a little bit older. But the thing about Alien is it's such a classic. It's like a gothic horror movie set within a spaceship, and you have this it's a monster film like you have this alien that is running around the sta- the spaceship taking people out but when you watch the movie it was shot in such a smart way that the special effects just hold up because so many of the scenes even though so many of the scenes are a guy in a suit and they're very practical effects and and stuff like that a lot of it's shot in the dark a lot of the um shots of the actual alien are very short and uh it's just one of those things that holds up really well. And there's there's one shot of the of the original movie that I think doesn't hold up. And it's one of the jump scares where um, one of the characters is, you know, crawling through the air vents. And there's this single shot 
of the xenomorph reaching out to uh, attack the person. And it's kind of this straight on shot of the xenomorph. And you can totally tell that it's a guy in the suit by that shot. But then there's also the scene where you have Ripley like walking down one of the dark hallways of the spacecraft and you see the alien's tail just like slink down behind her in the shadows. And that shot looks so realistic the way it was done, like it holds up so well. So even though, like I said, there's the one shot of the movie that's maybe not the greatest, like so much of the rest of the movie holds up. And uh, like I said, it's just such a classic good horror movie i feel like it's one of those things where i feel like you have a diverse cast you have a lot of badass characters i feel like this movie holds up in so many ways and it's such a good like isolated isolated like creep out sort of film like how can you not go with this but like i said aliens could be a great pick too because it used a lot of the same strategies and so much of the same good grotesque but awesome practical effects so the alien franchise is a good call in general as well but i don't know if you have any thoughts on this one drew um alien is my one of my all-time favorite science fiction franchises period Um, right absolutely it's interesting that you're flagging the first movie, but the first movie is probably probably the one to flag for this list. Um, yep. Specifically because of the um, special effects, um, the story itself, the set design, the film techniques, right? Um, the the costume I mean, the costume of the creature, um, the way they filmed the creature itself. Uh, yeah, this is probably the best film to look at it. I mean, this this movie, the first Alien film, it was what was interesting is to hear James Cameron talk about it. Because um, if you watch some of the making of documentary stuff, when he talks about making the second film, he talks about how the first movie is the haunted house. And you can't just go back to the haunted house. You can, but you if you just go back to the haunted house, you get a repeat of a movie. Um, yeah. Evil Dead is a perfect example of that. But his point was, you got to flip the haunted house on its head a little bit and you need to make it and you need to bring you need to you can keep all that fear and horror and excitement. But if you flip it and make it more of an action film, um, the audience will be along with you a little bit more because the stakes are going to be raised. Um, So. uh, Yeah, this whole series, in my opinion, holds up. Um, Yes. The one of the places where I struggle with the movies holding up is some of the prequel films because of the level of computer tech uh, that's visualized yeah. in the thing that doesn't match properly. But if you pay attention to the story beats, it holds up just fine, um, even when you watch it with the prequels. So and I say prequels, meaning uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. And I hopefully whatever this next alien film is that's supposed to hit um, Hulu. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I yeah, I agree with all of that that you said. And I think it's funny that you brought up Evil Dead because I reviewed Evil Dead Rise um, about a month ago or so. And uh, my biggest complaint with that movie, even though it is just an awesome, gory, gruesome treat of a movie, my one complaint is I feel like in the Evil Dead series, they keep going back to the haunted house. And uh, the way that the 2013 Evil Dead movie ends, 
it seemed like we were going to go to Army of Darkness. It seemed like we were going to get our medieval uh, gory action movie next, and we're still going back to the haunted house. So I think that's just funny that you mentioned that, especially in conjunction with uh, James Cameron's thoughts uh, when he was going with the Aliens film. So, uh, yeah, just cool stuff. All right, man. My last pick of the night, and... This is probably the second movie I wrote down and we made this list. Um, and that's Back to the Future. Um, yes, great call. This movie holds up in the sense that this is a movie that holds up because of the concept of time travel. The tightly written story that's wrapped around it in the same sense that you, you're you not going to make a more perfect movie about time travel than Back to the Future. I really don't think you will. It discusses the paradoxes, discusses the the traps and pitfalls of it. It tells a coming of age story. It tells an adventure. There's the love story, like every piece and anything you need to have in a um, movie is represented in this film from the beginning to the end. Um, Yeah, I think the whole franchise holds up, but specifically this first one isolated by itself. Um, The... And I know I've talked a lot about how the technology is holds up. It's a movie about the 80s. Um, yeah. And then it's a movie about the 50s. So the technology is going to hold up altogether. This doesn't make it a period piece because it's fictional. It's science fiction altogether. So it doesn't make it a period piece at all. Um, but even when you go back in time, everything's represented properly. Um, yeah. And it all makes sense even when you start dealing with the futuristic aspect of time travel and whatnot. Um, so... Yeah, Back to the Future. I cannot say enough enough good about this movie, but I also can't say enough good about this movie as to how well it holds up. It holds up so well that I hope they never, like Robert Zemeckis has said, he'll never let a remake of this movie happen, a remake reboot. Um, I hope they never do. I hope that as long as <laughs> as long as he's alive, they won't. Yeah, if he passes away. I hope they never do. If he. Um, if they decide to do it, if they decide to do a sequel, I'm probably going to my butt's probably going to be in a seat for it. But I really think they should leave this one completely alone and let it be this perfect film. And, you know, I don't I'd have to go back and look at our perfect film list we did a while ago. But I really feel like this movie lands in that perfect film category um, and always will remain that way. So I absolutely agree with that. And I hope they never try to reboot Back to the Future I just laugh because I think they're going to (laughs) try just going on Hollywood's track record. They're going to try and we're going to see how that turns out. But uh, there's an argument that the only part of this franchise that I think you could argue doesn't hold up is Back to the Future 2, the sequence that takes place in the future, because you could argue that that version of uh, 2015 or whatever is not at all (laughs) like how the future actually played out. The thing is, it's still awesome enough that by the rule of cool, you just got to forgive it. But when it comes to the original movie, you have the 80s represented super well, of course, because the film's made then. But you have the DeLorean with the uh, stainless steel body that makes it possible to uh, time travel. You have the DeLoreans powered by, I can't remember, is it uranium or plutonium? I can't remember the uh, element, but it's something that it's a technology that existed for the time. So it just makes that 
believable. And then you go into the 50s, and uh, as far as I know, it was represented super well and in a way that felt very familiar, but also very intriguing. And I think this movie is just handled so well. And uh, this franchise definitely came up on my short list. And I think the only reason I didn't pick it is because of that uh, Back to the Future aspect that I mentioned before. But again, uh, you know, I, I the rule of cool, you have to let certain things go because this is a franchise. This is a three film trilogy that is so well constructed that it's just amazing and i think these movies are going to be revisited forever so uh great call um i don't know if you have any last thoughts or if i should move into my last pick you can go right to your last pick man because i really don't know like yeah i don't know what to add (laughs) absolutely so my last pick is uh this one and alien were the first two movies that i thought of and uh the last pick i went with I've talked about so many times, um, and that movie is Princess Bride. It's one of my favorite films ever. This is a movie that is a sword and sorcery style fantasy film. You have your ragtag group of heroes. You have so many just great elements of a fantasy story, but you also just have the humor of it all you have the great writing, you have the memorable lines and it's one of those things where you have. You know, maybe the rodents of an unusual size don't look super realistic by today's standards, but it kind of doesn't matter because the story's so good and the characters are really good. And when it comes down to it, this film is about the characters. Like, it's about Fessick and Inigo and Wesley and Buttercup and everybody. It's it's about the story that's being told. It's about these wonderful moments that people continue to quote and uh, I remember a year or two ago, I saw some some random person on Twitter was talking about how they had just watched Princess Bride for the first time. And this is like 2021, 2020, 22, somewhere around there where they just said, I get it, guys. I just watched this movie and I get why everybody loves it because I love it, too. And I feel like the reason I saved this film for last, besides that it's one of my favorite movies, is that. It just shows that good characters and a good story and memorable moments stand the test of time forever. And it doesn't matter how big of a budget you have or the CGI or anything. But if you have good characters and like even kind of as a joke, like a good sword fight, like a good sword fight stands the test of time, like this movie will live on. And I just think it's uh, it's awesome for all those respects. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. I really don't know what to add because you're totally right. And <laughs> Prince Bride will always stand the test of time. Right on. <laughs> this is, um, this brings us to the end of the episode. So I have to tell us what we're doing next week. And then we, yeah, have what do we, out. what do we got? So because, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel ended, uh, Ted Lasso ended. Um, there's a lot of streaming stuff going on right now. The streaming wars, I feel have gotten to like, a interesting, like kind of, place in the world if you will um we haven't talked about tv in a while and with network dead um i was thinking it'd be kind of cool to do a hang on one second i'm gonna sneeze i'm sorry (laughs) we'll fix that in post right um i was like oh my gosh sure we will (laughs) yeah anyway edit um no i was thinking it'd be kind of cool to do our favorite shows favorite tv shows 
They were specifically meant for streaming. Okay. Okay. Now, if it's like, so Game of Thrones doesn't count. Yes, it was on streaming, but it doesn't count because that's not where it was intended to be. These are shows that definitely intended, like House of the Dragon does, because it was meant for HBO Max. That's where the whole point of it was to be, was to be for HBO Max. And it's actually, I think it's counted as an HBO Max original. Um, yeah. But these are shows that were designed for streaming platforms, which means they're shorter seasons, all that stuff. So we're talking Netflix, Paramount Plus, Apple TV, uh, Amazon Prime. You know, you're looking at your streaming services and what are your favorite shows from that. So that would be kind of cool for a 251st episode. Um, yeah. That's what I, I think it's a it's a fun topic, too, when you think about um, the binge model versus the weekly release model and uh, how that factors into this as well. But, uh, yeah, good call. This is a interesting uh, pick that I I never thought of this one myself. So, yeah. And I, re- and I realized we never did it. We talked like favorite network sitcoms and stuff. But like I said, network's kind of dead. So we'll see how this plays out. It's really the best thing I can say to that. Um, Streaming killed the network star, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I say we toss this episode in the can and call it a night. Um, thoughts? Yeah, let's go for it. Great. Everyone, do us a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on our email. Either way works. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you'll not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better, and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre. And that's where I will be advertising my combat club for senior citizens called L A A R P. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.